Financial residency podcasts are brought to you this week by weatherbyhealthcare.com. Just as the right advice helps you thrive financially, the right support team allows you to excel professionally. Weatherby Healthcare's locums experts will match you with the best jobs, prepare you for success, and provide 24-7 support. The bottom line is that working locums with Weatherby helps you earn more money and take better control of your career. If that sounds like music to your ears, head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com payday to get started. And welcome back to Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. This is your host, Tammy Krause. We had an episode a few weeks ago with Michael Relvis, and we talked about disability insurance. But today I've got Larry Keller with us, and we were going to delve into that even a little bit further. Hey, Larry, how are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Thank you. I'm so glad you came on. I know you had an article that just came out in White Coat Investor, and it kind of got me a little excited and I thought I'd invite you on the show and just talk about some of the things that you deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And yeah, the article came out a couple of days ago. Thankfully, I've gotten some pretty good feedback so far. You know, of course, some people have specific situations that were kind of addressed in that article. So all is good. All is good. Good. Well, let's just start with the basics. As far as disability insurance goes, can you talk to us a little bit about employer provided plans or guaranteed standard issue? Where do we start when we're, you know, trying to find a disability policy? Yeah, so aside from residents, fellows and what I'll call new in practice physicians. And these are anywhere from someone in the last 6 months of their training up to the first 2 years of practicing. In those cases, the insurance companies make available special limits. And these are amounts that can be purchased regardless of your actual income, regardless of employer-provided long-term disability coverage. So on the application, you know, if you have that, you would disclose what that coverage is. And it turns out if you're eligible for less than what the new and practice limits are, and you decide you want to buy more than what you would normally qualify for under the new and practice limits, so a good example might be someone that's earning $200,000 a year. They're working as an attending. You know, they're a new attending. They've got group insurance coverage that's provided to them. It's a taxable benefit and they get 60% of their salary with a $10,000 a month maximum, you know, which is a relatively low maximum, but relative to that $200,000 income, it's actually pretty high, right? Because 60% of our $200,000 income would give us $120,000 annually. We divide that by 12. There is your $10,000 a month maximum. Now, when you have employer-provided coverage, there's a few general things to keep in mind. You know, number one is unless your employer is adding back to your taxable income, the premium that they're paying on your behalf for the insurance any benefits you receive would be taxable. So although you're getting $10,000 a month in my example, if we assume a 30% tax bracket, you're really going to net 7,000 a month. So right off the bat, we see 60% is clearly lower than 100%. Then we take 60% and we reduce that for 30% taxes. And we see that you're not necessarily covered to the extent that you might have originally thought that you're covered. So ideally, we want to fill in the taxes 
that you're going to potentially lose on your group insurance plan. We want to make sure that your policy is portable. You know, if you leave your employer and certain types of claims on a group long-term disability plan might have offsets. You know, so God forbid you're very disabled and you receive benefits by Social Security. That will offset the amount of coverage that you're receiving from your group. Now, ideally, you'll get the same amount, but less is coming from the insurance company and some is now coming from Social Security. If you're hurt on the job or you get workers' compensation, now that's going to potentially reduce your benefit. Some group policies say, you know, Tammy, if you put in a claim, you were in a car accident and you received some kind of a judgment, we might offset for that as well. So ideally, we want to have our employer-provided plan as a base level of our coverage. And then we want to have an individual plan to make sure that our policy is portable in the event we change jobs, make up for the taxes that we potentially are going to lose on the group insurance plan. And if our income exceeds the monthly maximum under the group insurance plan, so in this case, our individual is earning $200,000 annually, they're getting 60%, it happens to be the cap is 10,000, they're at the maximum already. If next year they got a raise and they went from 200,000 to 250,000 or $300,000 annually, any earnings that they now have in excess of 200,000 have no coverage associated with that whatsoever. So again, an individual plan is a great idea that can work very well in conjunction you know, with a group long-term disability plan provided by an employer. So let's, I guess, pivot over to self-employed individuals. When they don't have a policy that's provided by their employer, how do they start going about getting covered for disability insurance, like a 1099 employer or employee or an independent contractor? Yeah. So when we look at independent contractors, you really see this two times. You know, the first one is they just finished their training. They're working as an independent contractor. Let's go. They have no guaranteed salary at all. And if I was to ask them, hey, doctor, how much do you think you're going to earn? They're going to come back with a number a lot. And I'm going to say, do you have any kind of documentation that you're going to earn a significant amount of money? No, I'm just going to hang out my shingle. I'm going to do locums. I'm going to take an assignment here and there. I'm going to be working regularly. I'm going to be working at least 30 hours a week. That's your traditional minimal for individual disability insurance. Some companies allow for part-time. This is if you're working 20 to 29 hours per week. But let's go on the theme of I'm going to be working 30 hours or more. I just finished my training. I really don't have anything that I can provide to you in terms of income documentation. Well, then we would be looking at those new in-practice limits. And this will traditionally let someone purchase $7,500 a month, irrespective of what their actual income is. If they say, well, you know, I do have a contract. You know, I'm an emergency medicine physician. I'm going to be contracted for a minimum of X number of hours per month. My lowest hourly rate is going to be X. I will multiply that out come up with the monthly income that they're going to earn at a minimal, apply that by 12. That's their potential annualized income. At that point, most insurance companies are going to offset for expenses. 
And we don't know what those expenses are going to be because if this is a new in-practice independent contractor, they really couldn't tell me what their expenses are. Now, we know something like an emergency medicine physician or an anesthesiologist, ideally, they're going to have fairly low expenses. But if they run into an accountant that's aggressive, or maybe they're doing their own taxes and they're aggressive, we just don't know what their net income you know, after expenses before taxes is going to look like. So insurance companies are going to an assumed rate of somewhere between 25 and 50% for expenses until you can prove otherwise. So if you say, hey, Larry, look, I'm an emergency medicine physician. You've calculated my income. I'm expected to earn 300000 I would come back and say most insurance companies would say 25% assumed expenses is reasonable for an emergency medicine physician. So we'll take your 300,000, we'll assume that you've got 75% of that. We will then go to our income replacement chart and that's what we will allow you to purchase. And any of the policies that will be recommended are going to have an increase option to allow that individual to buy more coverage regardless of their health as their income rises. So then after they file their taxes and we know the percentage of expenses that they took, we can go ahead and we can increase their coverage without them doing an exam, blood test, urine test, or answering additional medical questions. It's solely going to be based on their income documentation. The other type of independent contractor you have is almost a little easier to work with. And this is someone that worked in a practice or worked for a large institution, and they've gotten to the point that they want to work for themselves and they're leaving their W-2 position. At that point, we're going to assume whatever they were earning as an employee, we're going to take 75% of that. We're then going to go to our income replacement chart, and we're going to see what that allows for. And companies will typically allow you to use 75%. Some are going to say up to a maximum of $7,500 a month. Some might use $10,000 a month as a maximum. And others might say, well, Tammy, we don't really use a maximum. If you were earning enough and you warrant more than 10,000, we will allow you to buy that. And if you want more than that, and you can document your income to us after expenses before taxes, that's not a problem. Keep in mind that other individual coverage that you own or association plans that you own already are going to be taken into consideration when we're using that 75% calculation. So if I calculate, well, Tammy, you're eligible for $8,000 a month, and you tell me you already have $5,000 a month from another insurance company, I'm going to tell you that you're eligible to buy an additional three. You're not going to be able to buy another eight on top of what it is that you already have. Does that make sense? It does. That's exactly the way that we do it for independent contractors. I wish I could say that everyone that I speak with is the pinnacle of health. Physicians, as great as they are, as well-versed as they are in medicine, now, unfortunately, they're people too. And we have medical conditions. And not everybody will qualify to purchase an individual disability insurance policy. Or at least they might not qualify to purchase it the way they ideally want to purchase it. Now, so you always hear people saying, well, I've been told I should buy my policy when I'm a resident or a fellow. 
And if I don't do that, you know, there's going to be some real consequences to pay. And the truth of the matter is the main reason or main reasons to purchase when you're a resident or a fellow is the discounts are going to be the most available. You know, so you can always get, and I can guarantee, you can always find one of the large companies that's going to provide a discount. But your odds of getting discounts with the majority of the companies or all of the companies are greatest when you're a resident or a fellow. If companies have differences in terms of the discount rates, you typically find that the larger discounts or the largest discounts are available to residents and fellows. So the main reasons to buy when you're in training is number one is ideally you're in good health. And if you're young and you're in good health, that's going to give you the most opportunity. If you're young and you're not in good health, there is a chance that you can find something that's called a guaranteed standard issue plan or a GSI plan. So just when you thought that acronyms were limited to medicine in the military, we love them in insurance as well. So a GSI plan is really where an institution or an agent, you know, have gotten together. And we're going to make coverage available to residents and fellows with very limited or very minimal underwriting. You know, we'll ask some gatekeeper questions, but beyond that, unless you have applied for coverage somewhere else and been declined, or some companies, if you applied and you were offered a modified policy, you know, with an exclusion rider, or we'll call this a limited benefit period, or a rating, which is just the industry term for an additional premium to cover a substandard risk, then this might be off the table. So the best thing to do is if you have any medical concerns or you've spoken with insurance agents and they've told you, you know, if you apply for coverage, you're either not going to get a policy or you're not going to get a policy the way you might want to have your policy issued. Ideally, you want to see if a guaranteed standard plan, guaranteed standard issue plan exists at your hospital. If it does, ideally, you want to apply for the guaranteed standard issue plan first, because if you apply for other coverage prior to applying for the guaranteed standard issue plan, and like I said, you're declined or issued a modified policy, the GSI offer may now be off the table. Mm. Now, as of late, I have run into people that did not know that they actually applied for disability insurance. And they were offered a modified policy or they were declined. So how is it that I would know that they applied for coverage and they don't know that they applied for coverage? Well, it's not me. As smart as I might profess to be, I don't have access to this information. The insurance companies do. And the way that they will do this is there is something that the insurance companies have access to. And this is basically called the DIRS. And this stands for Disability Insurance Reporting System. And what they do, it's designed to prevent an overinsurance situation. So once you apply for disability insurance, there is a note made to your file. And it doesn't mean that your policy was issued. It doesn't mean that the policy is active. It just notes the insurance company to beware this person applied for coverage. And they'll come back. And if you apply for a guaranteed standard issue plan and they do their DERS check, 
they're going to come back to the agent and they're going to say, we have reason to believe that this person applied for coverage with company X. What was the outcome of that application? And if it was a modification, and let's say you're applying for a guaranteed standard issue plan with Emeritus, you know, one of the companies that has these, a modification is okay. You would disclose what the modification was. You would disclose when you applied for the coverage and the guaranteed standard issue plan would be issued. If we look at someone like Guardian, Guardian says, if you applied to another company and you were provided a policy that was modified, postponed or declined, generally we are no longer going to make the guaranteed standard issue offering available. Now, Guardian is unique in the fact that they will always take their own declines. So if someone applied to Guardian, they were denied coverage, they were offered coverage with a modification, that GSI offering would still be available to them. The same thing is true if they happen to be in the right place at the right time. And this is very unique. So let's say that you had someone that was a medical student. They applied for coverage after they matched and they were denied coverage by one of the large insurance companies. And now they go and they start their residency. And it happens to be there's a guardian GSI plan at the hospital in which they're doing their residency. Well, if the endorsed agent for that plan or the proposed insured happens to find the endorsed agent for that plan, and it's within nine months of their hire date at that institution, even if they were declined or modified by another insurance company, it is still available to them. So let's say we had a medical student, they graduated, they started their residency July 1st at this institution. That individual essentially has nine months after July 1st to find that guaranteed standard issue plan, or the agent has nine months to find that individual that was declined or modified elsewhere, and it would still be available to them. You know, so time is of the, F of the essence in that situation, and you really have to be in the right place at the right time. The other thing that you'll find with guaranteed standard issue plans each plan has what is known as an endorsed agent. And in certain situations, the endorsed agent is willing to make their guaranteed standard issue plan available to other agents. After all, I think that's pretty good. You know, it helps the client. It helps the endorsed agent. The endorsed agent has to make sure that they meet a requirement in terms of participation. Everybody wins in that situation. Well, I will be the first one to tell you, not every endorsed agent is willing to do that. So as a result, you might meet an insurance agent or inquire about disability insurance, and they might not know that a guaranteed standard issue plan exists at that institution. Or they might know and choose not to share that information because they know that they cannot offer the GSI plan to you as a potential client. So like everything else, it really comes down to your due diligence. You want to ask questions. You want to find out what may or may not be available. You want to get different opinions, even if you're contacting a few agents. Again, personalities differ. Experience levels differ. You know, you might be more comfortable with one agent than another agent. So we just want to make sure they say knowledge is power. 
Now, that is true in just about everything, including the purchase of disability insurance. I'm going to back up for just a second. You mentioned that you may know that a client applied for insurance, but they may not even know. How is that possible? Yeah, so this is relatively new. You know, so a lot of agents conduct business online. And, you know, there's some pretty well-known websites where a physician will go on there, they'll request quotes, or they believe that they're requesting quotes, but they're actually applying for insurance. And these days, most of the insurance companies don't require an exam, blood test, or urine test, or at least up to certain amounts. It's also very common that if you're a resident or a fellow, you might never need to do that. So you're speaking to an agent or you believe that you're requesting quotes online. And next thing you know, you're providing not only your date of birth. I mean, that is very relevant for a quote that is necessary. You know, your state of residence is necessary, but you do not need to provide your social security number to get a quote. You do not need to provide your driver's license number to get a quote. You do not need to electronically sign anything in order to get a quote. So in some cases, I've had people applying for insurance. They're unaware that they applied for insurance. They know that they have medical issues or issues that are concerning to an outcome of a medically underwritten policy. Then I tell them about the availability of a GSI plan. We apply for that and the insurance company comes back and like I said before, well, Tammy, we have reason to believe that this client applied to company XYZ. Hmm. What's the status of that application? And now I go back to the client. I say, hey, I got this message from the underwriter. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Because I was unfamiliar. Did you apply for insurance? If you did, what was the name of the insurance company and what was the outcome? I didn't apply for insurance. I just got a quote. And I said, well, did you give this individual your social security number? Did you give them your driver's license? Did you tell them your state of birth? Oh, yes, but that was just to get a quote. No, it wasn't. You actually applied for insurance. Did you sign anything electronically or fax, you know, or old school, you know, paper? I did, but that was just to get a quote. No, unfortunately, you formally applied for a policy. And now as a result of that, the GSI offer might very well be off the table. You know, so wow. I do see this more often than I care to tell you about. And again, it all comes back to doing your due diligence. And if you believe that you have any medical issues that might be of concern for an insurance company doing medical underwriting, your first step is to find out about the availability of a guaranteed standard issue plan. Side plans can also work very well for females. In a lot of cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, these guaranteed standard issue plans have unisex rates. So standard insurance company, you know, they've got a pretty good number of GSI plans across the country. 99% of them have unisex rates. In fact, all but two of these plans in the country have unisex rates. So the odds are pretty good, you'll find them. At this point, Emeritus, another company that has guaranteed standard issue plans, currently all of theirs have unisex rates. And Guardian, for the most part, they have GSI plans. They do not have 
unisex rights, but there is no medical underwriting. The Guardian GSI plans also have no pre-existing condition limitation. So let's talk about that. And like I said, not everybody is healthy. People might reach out and they have a pre-existing condition. So here's the insurance companies kind of at a quandary. Well, if we're going to offer a GSI plan, what can we do to provide coverage to this individual that is comprehensive, but at the same time, we need to protect ourselves? Now, after all, we are a for-profit business. Sure. So what you'll find is someone like Emeritus or Standard Insurance Company might say something like, well, Tammy, just to let you know, we have what's known as a 312 pre-ex. So it's 3 slash 12. Do you know what the three means of the 312? I don't. No, most people don't. So the first three essentially says, if you saw a physician, if you took a prescription medication, if a reasonable human being would have seen a physician or taken a prescription medication because they had symptoms, and this is within 90 days prior to the effective date of your guaranteed standard issue plan, assuming you're approved and you become disabled within the first 12 months of owning that. So the three is three months before, the 12 is 12 months of owning the policy. If you're disabled as a result of what is deemed to be a pre-existing condition within the first 12 months of ownership, we are not going to pay that claim, hence the pre-existing condition limitation. If you're disabled beyond 12 months of ownership, even a pre-existing condition would be covered. So a good example of this might be someone that unfortunately has juvenile diabetes. And a juvenile diabetic, unfortunately, is likely going to be declined for coverage everywhere. The exception would be a special risk carrier, like let's say Lloyd's of London. And what they would say is, Tammy, we'll cover you for everything except for diabetes or diabetic complications. And of course, that's something that you're very concerned about because it really cannot be limited. Well, here we know this person is likely on insulin. They're going to continue to take insulin. They're going to be taking insulin right up to the point that they apply for their policy. They buy it. God forbid, six months in, they have a severe diabetic complication. They can no longer perform their job duties. That claim will not be paid. It's within the first 12 months of policy ownership. After 12 months, same claim, they are now out of the pre-existing condition limitation, that claim would be paid. But one of the unique features that Guardian has compared to say Emeritus or Standard, and they're all very good, and they're all guaranteed standard issue, is Guardian's GSI plans do not include a pre-existing condition limitation. So that's great. There's not even a period of time that you're waiting to be covered. So. Who is a GSI plan best for? Females, if a unisex rate is available. If you've got what the insurance company deems to be risky hobbies, you know, if you rock climb, if you do bungee jumping, if you do competitive racing, you know, whether it's motocross, whether it's car racing, anything along those lines, which might normally be excluded, we don't have exclusions for those activities. In fact, Generally, we don't even ask about those activities. Again, we'll be a little touchy here because this can vary far and wide. If you are deemed to be overweight, 
you know, and this can vary a lot, you know, like my definition of overweight is I'm 10 pounds more than I should be. But let's just say you're not on the chart for what we call a standard build. And as a result of that, if you applied, you'd have to pay more or you'd get a limited policy or you might not be insurable at all. But we don't ask about build, you know, so I'll go with to say if someone is overweight, and they would not qualify for traditional coverage, the guaranteed standard issue plan can be a saving grace, you know, for them. And if you throw it all together, it's unlikely. But if you have a female that can get unisex rates that happens to be overweight and doesn't qualify for a traditional policy, and they do rock climbing, <laughs> they kind of rang, you know, like the three lemons on the slot machine. You know, so they definitely can work well for the right people. Doesn't mean that it's going to be right all the time. It just means if there's an opportunity to take advantage of one, you really want to know that they're there. And then like everything else, you want to compare your options to see what works best based on your individual needs, your individual goals, your budget, and your philosophy. You know, you've mentioned multiple companies with different types of policies. How is it best for a physician to find out about all of the policies? Do they have to go to each individual website? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, you really shouldn't have to. I mean, you know, there is something that's called the big six. And these are the policies that are available with companies that have what's known as an own occupation. Some people use the term own specialty, but that's technically not correct. And ideally, what the own occupation definition would say is if you are a physician and you're unable to perform the material and substantial duties of your occupation, so these are the things that you do day in and day out due to an accident or sickness, we will call you totally disabled, full benefits would be payable, even if you can work in another occupation or another medical specialty, it would have no impact on your benefits. So the companies that have this, and this can vary a little bit by state, this can also vary based on medical specialty, believe it or not, but you've got Berkshire Life, which is a guardian company. You can use those interchangeably. We've got Standard Insurance Company. We've got Emeritus. We've got Mass Mutual. We've got Principal. We've got a company called Ohio National. So those are the six that have true own occupation coverage. To that, you can also add New York Life. You know, they have a policy that's available through New York Life agents, and they're the only ones that can sell that. So you would need to contact a New York Life agent to be able to purchase that. There's another well-known company that's going to be going into own occupation again, and that's going to be happening in December of this year. So we see the number of companies that have own occupation definition is going to be increasing. You know, certain companies are potentially better for certain medical specialties than others, you know, and an agent that is experienced, they've been doing it a long time, they do it day in and day out, the odds are very good, they're going to know which medical specialties are going to work best for specific insurance companies, you know, or vice versa. The other places that you're going to find policies differ is how are claims handled for mental and nervous conditions. Now, so when I say mental and nervous conditions, I do not think like a doctor, I think like an insurance guy. Anxiety, depression, stress, chemical dependency, drug addiction. Well, most of the policies are either going to have a limitation for that, 
or they might make available an unlimited option and say, well, Tammy, it's your choice. Built into our policy is a limit or built into our policy is no limit. And you can choose to either remove the limitation or add the limitation. And for the most part, you're going to find that you can do that. An exception is going to be California. All policies in the state of California have to have a limitation. You'll find principles specifically in the state of New York, regardless of medical specialty or occupation, they have to have a limitation. And then as far as medical specialties go, believe it or not, all of the insurance companies warrant or mandate a limitation for emergency medicine physicians, anesthesiologists, pain management physicians, even CRNAs. You know, so those are the ones where you're going to have a limitation, you know, that's required. Other things that we look for would be, well, what happens if I become disabled? Let's say I'm a visa holder and I lose my visa and now I have to return to my country of origin. Well, certain policies may allow for this in certain states. Other policies are going to say, well, Tammy, if you're a visa holder, you know, we are going to put on an exclusion rider that says, either your policy is not going to pay benefits overseas or we're going to pay benefits for a very limited period of time, typically 12 months, and then you have to come back to the United States. So if I was a visa holder or I was a U.S. citizen and I knew in the event of a disability, I would potentially like to retain the ability to reside overseas, I really, if possible, would want to hone in the companies that would allow for that. Interesting. And then the last one that you find is there's different types of increase options. Some companies have what I'm going to call the traditional increase option. Some companies have a newer increase option. They all start with a B, a benefit increase rider, a benefit purchase rider, a benefit update rider. And both of them allow you to purchase additional coverage in the future without ever doing an exam, blood test, urine test again, without ever having to answer medical questions. The traditional one, you're paying for this option. And as such, every single year, it's going to be available to you on your policy's birthday. You might check in with me. I can tell you how much additional coverage you qualify for, if anything. And you might say, Larry, I was just you know, kicking the tires. I just wanted to see if I was eligible for more. I really feel like I'm in pretty good shape. Even if I qualify for more, I don't want more at this time. That's okay. You don't need to do anything. What's become much more popular, you know, are these B increase options. So we say, Tammy, you can have this increase option if you meet the criteria in order for them to be included in your policy. If we look at someone like Standard Insurance Company and you're a resident or a fellow, even if you're buying a thousand dollar a month policy, but you qualify medically, you can have that and you can increase your benefit up to $30,000 a month in the future. And the way this works is because you're getting it at no cost, we know, or at least we think, the healthy person is not going to use it to the same extent as the person that has medical issues. So this comes up every three years. And you're notified by the insurance company. You're typically going to be notified by the insurance agent's office. And we're going to ask you for a recent pay stub. We're going to ask you for a copy of your tax return for the prior year. And then we're going to ask you about other disability insurance that you have. Like we said earlier, employer-provided coverage, if any. And we're going to send your application off to the insurance company. And they're going to determine if you qualify for additional coverage. Now, if you don't, let's say you're a resident, 
you're still a resident or maybe you're a fellow, income really hasn't changed. We're going to say, Tammy, thanks so much for checking in. You did what you needed to do. We've reviewed your application. At this point, you do not qualify for additional coverage. And again, this can vary from one company to another. As such, nothing further is required. We will see you again in three years. Or in certain cases, you might be able to use this earlier and not wait three years. Typically, it's going to be a big jump in your income, 20%, 30%, 50%. It could be you lost your employer-provided group insurance. So maybe, like you said, you were a W-2 employee. You're leaving the hospital. You now lo no longer have your group insurance coverage. You don't want to wait until your next option date. You need to do it sooner. That would be available. So the first thing is you absolutely positively must check in. Number two is if you qualify for more coverage, you have to buy at least 50% of what you're eligible for. If you do not, they are going to remove the increase option from your policy. In some cases, it's going to be permanent. Even if you're willing to answer medical questions or do an exam, blood test or urine test, you cannot add it back. In other cases, they will potentially allow you to add it back, but you do have to go through medical underwriting for that. Now, one of the companies, they happen to be a little bit more liberal, even if you developed a medical condition, but they can exclude for this newfound condition, they will tell you, Tammy, we will add back your increase option, but any additional coverage you buy from this point going forward is going to have an exclusion rider for typically a specific body part. It could be something like you do that's deemed hazardous, like we'll cover you for everything except for private piloting activities. So ideally, if you're opting for one of these B type increase options, you need to be aware that you must check in once every three years. And if you do check in, you must buy at least 50% of what you're eligible for, or you're going to lose your increase option. You know, so neither one of them is substantially better or worse than another. It'll vary based on individual situations and what your individual needs and goals are. But you just need to be aware as to how they work because the last thing you want to find yourself in is in a situation where you didn't increase your coverage or you didn't apply to increase your coverage when you should have. You've lost your increase option. You've now developed a medical condition and you're concerned. And now you find out that you don't have the ability to increase your coverage to protect yourself and or your family. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Well, Larry, obviously you're very knowledgeable and you've been doing this for so many years. If someone wanted to get in touch with you and ask questions either about their own policy that they have or maybe getting new coverage, how would they go about getting in touch with you? Sure. So they can always call me. It's 516-677-6211. They can always drop me an email. It's lkeller, L-K-E-L-L-E-R, at physician, no S on the end, financial services, all spelled out, dot com. Like I said, like you said, I'm very happy to review what it is that they own currently. If they're considering upgrading their coverage or replacing their coverage or supplementing their coverage, I'm happy to look at them, give them my feedback, and take it from there. But I greatly appreciate your time. I hope the listeners find this to be helpful. Have an awesome day and we will chat again. Thank you, Larry, so much for being on the show. And thanks to everybody for listening again to Grand Rounds. I hope you'll join us again next week.
If you're ready to start boosting your earning power with locums, head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com payday to learn more. Material discussed is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Optional riders are available for an additional premium. Some policy benefits and features are not available to all occupations. Lawrence B. Keller is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, 355 Lexington Avenue, 9th Floor, New York, New York, 10017-6603-212-541-8800. Securities products and advisory services are offered through PAS, 1516-677-6200. Financial representative, Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York, Guardian. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Physician Financial Services is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License 1057229, California Insurance License 0C37340. PAS is a member FINRA SIPC 2022145221, expires 10 2024.